To the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 315. My name is Brando. We got two guests for you today. Coming up later on in the show as part of our Appetite for Discovery segment. We haven't done that in a while. Loudwire just named Goodbye June as one of the 11 bands that are leading the classic rock revival. So we're going to bring on the lead guitarist, Tyler Baker. Actually, the Loudwire... Article compares the lead singer to Axel. So does that make Tyler slash? But first, we're going to learn a lot about this guy, Jesse Dayton. He is a brand new memoir, autobiography, if you will. Uh, it's called Bo Monster. B-E-A-U Monster. We're going to talk about why it's called that. And the dude, is, as a musician, has worked with Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Willie Jennings, Rob Zombie, Mike Ness from Social Distortion. So a lot of people. And for our purposes, we're going to talk about his work with Duff McKagan on Tenderness. We're going to talk about, of course, Shooter Jennings on that record and Glenn Campbell. Who would have thought they would be a GNR tie to Glenn Campbell now? So without further ado, hey, Jesse, how are you? Hey, man, how's it going? I am living the dream. Uh, where are you? Where are you zooming in from, if you don't mind me asking? I'm on tour. We played in Phoenix last night. Okay. And, um, yeah, I um, got up at the very ungodly, unrock and roll hour uh, to do this interview, and I saw that Glenn Danzig and Chuck D had reposted about my new book, so I don't care what time it is right now. It's awesome. Everything's great. Oh, yeah, especially uh, Mr. Danzig, one of the – because you're in, you did like an Elvis Danzig yeah. thing. You jump right yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's a Glenn Danzig is a long way from playing with Glenn Campbell. Ah, yes. All right. So let's get right into it. For those who, because obviously we're, we're already name dropping, already name dropping. And when <laughs> you're, you're a young guy. And so I guess I'm curious why the book now i feel like you have a lot of experiences still left to live and people to meet and, and albums to make so what made now the right time well i mean thanks for the compliment but i was born in 66 <clears throat> so i'm 50 i'm 55 and i started playing with a lot of these greats you know in my 20s and it just felt like a good time i mean who knew that when i got offered this book publishing deal that uh the proverbial rug would be pulled out from underneath the universe so uh musicians if you want to write a really good book uh spend 19 months off tour okay i like how you start the the book too because obviously i've done my my research for for this and we'll get into you know i know you a lot through duff mckagan if you can tell the name of the podcast a gnr theme we'll get to that sure but I like how you, in the early uh, part of the book, you're like, why the hell is JC, uh, Jesse Dayton writing a book? <laughs> so I guess 
you know, why do you feel? Yeah, there are some there are famous people you talk about, but what made you want to tell your story? Well, I think really what it was was um, you know, I've always been a writer and I'm making basically the second version of this right now as we speak. I mean, where the book ends, um, I just had played in Jamaica with Lee Scratch Perry and then did this thing with Glenn Danzig. And, and I thought, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got plenty of stuff. You know, what happened was a friend of mine who's a literary agent um, was having dinner with this guy who was the editor and publisher for Hachette Books. And he said, you know, I think this guy's got a really good book in him. And she goes, who? And he said, Jesse Dayton. She goes, I know Jesse Dayton. And he said, well, tell him to send me three chapters. So, you know, it was, this was a real, I think the reason what, to answer your question is because it, it felt good. Mm. Okay. What was the, I guess, the most exciting part for you to want to get out? Because, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, readers or, you know, people who listen to podcasts, radio, they, they like hearing the big names, or, you know, Rob Zombie. But what I always like is the upbringing, you know, to figure out what makes this person tick, what set them off on this, right. this path, this life path. So, you know, to talk about, I guess, growing up in what well, it's called Bow Monster, you know, you're from Beaumont, yeah. Texas. I just had my first before the pandemic. I visited Texas for the first time, uh, Austin. So yeah. I guess if you can tell me more about that, that area, the music scene and how it shaped you. Oh, absolutely. And I, and God bless you for going to Austin. That's been my hometown for the last 25 years. Right. Um, but, you know, it was an interesting time because my parents were the first ones to make it out of the oil field and go to college. And so I grew up on the Texas, Louisiana border. There's all these Cajuns everywhere. So you got Zydeco, you got rhythm and blues, you got Cajun music, and then you got all this country stuff, you know, this is the seventies. And um, so it was kind of the tail end of this kind of colloquial regional uh, thing before, you know, you had these huge companies that would come in like MTV live nation and, you know, the buy all the radio stations. And so you had regional hits and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff influenced what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I got to hear all these great blues players from East Texas. And I got to go see Freddie Fender with the first, you know, kind of Hispanic, you know, before the last teardrop falls and wasted days and wasted nights. And, they're making hits, you know, right down the street from my house. George Jones went to high school with my dad. I mean, it, it was an amazing place. And so when I was listening to what every other little kid at that time was listening to, um, it, my playing just sounded a little different than maybe all the kids that were at the guitar school in Los Angeles, you know, and I had done my 10,000 hours of listening to Jerry Reed and all these great uh, country guitar players. But I, of course I loved Hendrix and Billy Gibbons and, you know, the usual suspects. Sure. Uh, what would be, who was the first artist, I guess, that you worked with when you were like, 
this is my career. I can make a living at this as opposed to a passion and, and see where it goes. Was there a defining moment early on where you're like, I'm, I'm going to be okay. You know, I, I, I figured this Absolutely. out a little bit. Absolutely. That's what happened. Cause my parents were like, you know, they wanted me to go to the university of Texas and go to college. And I was making 500 bucks a week playing with an all black Zotico band out of Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I got to go do this session when I was 18 in Houston for this uh, renowned producer named UEP Mo. And he had this band called Rock and Dopsy. And they were a Zydeco band. And they had this huge worldwide hit called Don't Mess With My Toot Toot. Okay. And uh, and I, he, I just kept bugging him and bugging him to produce me. And he never would. He goes, but I'll let you come play on this session. So I went in and played on this song with Rock and Dobsey when I was 18. And he gave me like, well, I played on a few of them and he gave me like 500 bucks. And I was like, okay, this is, this is for real. So I went and took my old man out for barbecue and broke the news to him. And he was like, go with it, dude. <laughs> and I'm glad you went out for barbecue. I definitely made sure to, uh, to get barbecue when I was in Austin. I went to, uh, to Austin City Limits uh, before nice. the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it was a great, a great experience. And maybe since you're a Texas guy, I made sure to wear my old school uh, Houston Oilers hat. And I got a nice. lot of- Yes, man. You know, I, I have a lot of old, you know, sports memorabilia and, and apparel, and I got a lot of compliments for, the, for that. And Bum Phillips and Earl Campbell were, that, that was the thing when I was a kid. Yeah, it was Warren Moon for me. You know, I'm I'm yeah. I'm not I'm I'm 38, but so I mean I still remember the Oilers though. It's not all it hasn't always been the Titans. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Part. Um, so when did you meet Glenn Campbell, if you don't mind me asking? Because you know that's that's um you know like not to date you or anything, but that's a name I always heard through my mom. And when he was sick, my mom would always tell me because she was such a big fan and you know, with again with me and in Guns N' Roses, they cover Wichita Lineman, and, and that kind of made me fall in love with the song. I wasn't too familiar with. So, can sure. somebody who knew him, can you tell us what it was like working with him and what kind of man he was? Well, I, you know, when he walked up, I was I was with a full band, and we were on stage, and we were the first time I met him. We were going to do this uh, thing at the Americana Conference in Nashville. And it was kind of, you know, he had just signed some big record deal in Los Angeles and they were trying to re, you know, launch his career, which is ridiculous because he's Glenn Campbell and he sold a trillion records. Right. Um, but, you know, they're trying to get him to a new generation. And he walked up on stage and first thing, I couldn't believe how good he looked. He looked like a superstar. And, you know, he just looked handsome and and just in shape and he looked great and he walked up and he said uh son do you know uh, most of the guitar parts i said yes sir mr campbell i brought you know two martin vintage martin acoustic guitars and two vintage fender telecasters uh if you don't want to bring your stuff out here i've got a whole rig for you and he goes, yeah he goes i might shake my butt a little bit more and let you play some guitar tonight and and which I thought was really funny. And you can see some YouTube footage of us playing together. And we did, you know, all the hits. But I will tell you this, by far, 
the most demanding guitar gig I've ever played. It literally made every gig after that easy. Wow. Yeah, because Glenn Campbell was a shredder. And anybody will tell you that from, you know, whoever. I mean, Jerry Cantrell or whoever, they'll tell you that Glenn Campbell could shred on a guitar. And, um, you know, there's some similarities uh, in our careers where, you know, Glenn played on a lot of records. He played on Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra, and he played on a bunch of Beach Boys hits and worked for Phil Spector as a session musician. So uh, Glenn Campbell was really cool, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, just what a career. And I feel, you know, given my age, it's, I can't help it. I kind of missed out on, on just his, his prime. But again, it's, it, I guess it doesn't matter when you discover as long as yeah. you discover. So as I, as I mentioned, you know, when, when Guns N' Roses reunited, they started doing some, some covers of people who had passed. They did it for Chris Cornell and Black Hole Sun. And then right. they play Wichita and Lyman after Glenn Campbell, which was, Surprising to a lot of people, you know, Soundgarden. Yeah. Uh, Guns N' Roses can cover Soundgarden, but Glenn Campbell. And what was surprising to me was just how amazing I think it stripped down that cover of Wichita Lyman, which leads me to my question to you, because it felt like it was in that band's pocket, not with GNR Lies, but with Duff specifically. Right. The album he just came off of with Tenderness. And right. that was like really his style, the country style. Yeah. So if, if you could talk about, because I know it was through Shooter Jennings, if you could talk about that experience working on Tenderness with Duff and Shooter. Well, let me just preface it by saying that Guns N' Roses are some heavy, heavy musical cats. Um, and I mean that, like, because, you know, you see the image kind of pre, uh, you know, it kind of just takes over everything. You know, all you think about is the, the debauchery and slash with his hat and his shirt off and a cigarette hanging out his mouth. But let me tell you, when you get those guys away from that scene, these guys are incredible songwriters and musicians. Um, they can play anything. And uh, that's what happened. When I met Shooter, I ended up working with Matt Sorum before I met Duff. Okay. And I was, I was blown away by what a great musician uh, Sorum was he could play anything and he helped write arrangements and then you know I got brought in to play Shooter brought me in to play on the Duff record and you know the thing about Duff is is the cool factor is through the roof um, you meet a lot of guys and they're all kind of into the same thing a lot of bands you know and but I think you know Duff kind of brought i mean if you look at those songs on appetite they all five wrote those songs i mean they all literally had a hand and you can if you listen to duff's solo record that i played on you can hear his style if you go back and you can hear which parts of the songs he had a hand in uh because duff has a real definitive thing but duff you know Hey man, Duff has been a big influence on me, really more so outside of music, as mm. far as just living and 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 learning how to uh, take care of myself and and experience as much as I can and stay open to stuff. You know, mm. what do you think about when 
it, it's a rocker coming. You know, yeah, Duff is he's had a lot a long career, so it's not exactly you know Slayer going country, but when it's a rocker going, and it's not. I know it wasn't a country record per se. Tenderness. No, I know what you mean. But when it's that style, I guess. What did you think? Because there are you know, like Steven Tyler, he did go flat out country. Is yeah, that well, something? I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what. I'll tell you where this comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite rock and roll band of all time is the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. I'm a complete nerd for the Stones. I've seen them 23 times. And I saw him on the last tour before Charlie passed away because I knew that he was 80 something and that there was no way he was going to be able to keep up playing the drums. And, and so Duff and those guys get that. And when you listen to those old stones records, whether it's like sweet Virginia or honky tonk woman, they've all got this kind of country vibe to it, but it's not full blown country um and i think that is just the evolution of rock and roll because guns and roses would go on to become you know as big um as the stones would and they're just it's just passing the torch um but it's cool you know to think that you know that these are you know people who are exploring music they're not just these rock stars living this debaucherous life they're they're people who are like wow i like this johnny cash song i like this waylon jennings song maybe we could try that and really all the great bands zeppelin stones beatles and into guns and roses they all did these versions of their idea of what they thought country was do you like, is there a label, I guess, that you want? You know, do you look at yourself as a country artist? Do you look at yourself as just an artist? Or I guess if someone were to ask, you know, again, going back to that initial thing that you put in your book in the first few pages, you know, why the hell is are you writing a book? If, if someone <laughs> had, to, had to, and I, obviously I know why, I know why. But if it's somebody that's just finding out about you, I guess, how would you describe yourself if you can, you know, without, obviously you did it in a book, you described yourself in a, in a book, but if you're able to be like, Hey, I'm this kind of artist, are you able to do that? Or is it just too, is it too hard to kind of pinpoint? Well, I usually tell people that I play country and rock music. Okay. And, and, and of course I've done a lot more than that. You know, I played Zydeco, I played blues, I played, you know, all kinds of stuff, but stuff. You know, we gotten, yeah, we haven't even gotten to the horror stuff that you've done. You know, these, these cover yeah. horror bands with Rob Zombie. So, I mean, is that something you ever, you know, does that come That's That's why I'm asking, because it's like you say one thing that you've done and there's so many other more other things. So I guess if you had to like, um, and I asked this sometimes the rock and roll hall of fame was just, just happened or uh, they right. had this ceremony hasn't uh, been televised yet. Right. And I, I use sports comparisons a lot too. So like if your jersey, so to speak, was going in the rafters for like a team, or if you were gonna get a bust in the Hall of Fame and you have one team to pick, is there like an artist you would pick that you worked with and say, Hey, this is this was my proudest moment? Are you able to do that? Well, I mean, as far as artists that I've worked with, it's kind of hard to do that. Although I will tell you, Waylon was Waylon Jennings was probably the coolest in terms of just being outlaw, dangerous, 
can I cuss on this? Yeah. Punk as fuck. Uh, just didn't care. Zero shits cared. Just total a thousand percent badass. Uh, Waylon was. Um, but I mean, for me, I've had a weird career and it's been hard for people to market me because, you know, cause I did work with Rob Zombie and I did work with Duff and I did just finish playing guitar for Glenn Danzig, uh, which is a long way from Glenn Campbell. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, it's a different time. It's a different world now, you know, um, people are, the scenes aren't what they used to be. People have playlists and they're varied and there's, they listening to a lot of different stuff and, you know, Hey, it might be kind of cool to bring this guy in and maybe he'll put a little, you know, chicken picking on this solo and it'll, you know, be a different flavor for the record. And, you know, so that's kind of how I get the calls. I like that. Jesse Dayton, this was a real pleasure. You know, congratulations on the book, uh, Ball Monster. And I hope we do this again. And I, perhaps I'll see you when you come to my neck of the woods and play in Brooklyn. Absolutely, brother. Come down, say hello, and we'll uh, put the face with the words. <laughs> you got it. You have a great day. Take care, man. Jesse's a cool dude, right? You could totally see why he and Duff got along. And I'll use this as a, a teaser as I am going to bring back a, another segment after we do Appetite for Discovery right now with, with Tyler of Goodbye June. But I'm going to do my monologue. And within that, we'll, we'll talk about some interviews I would have liked to have, happen, have happened concerning the, the tenderness record. All right, so there's a little, little teaser. But first, Tyler Baker is the lead guitarist of a band called Goodbye June. So we're going to talk to Tyler in a segment we like to call Appetite for Discovery. I just want very appetite. That's the goal. Very appetite. For discovery. So appetite for discovery. And I'm not going to be, you know, I'm never too cool for school. I'm not cool at all. But I feel, though, out of the loop and I'm catching up, Tyler. Uh, goodbye, June. I found out about you guys just a few weeks ago. And I feel like I've just, as I just mentioned, missing out. So I was excited to talk to you. Uh, today. So first of all, welcome Tyler Baker, uh, guitarist from Goodbye June. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Like I, I was telling you before, uh, uh, big fan, love the podcast, love what you do. I love that freaking Wolf Mother uh, interview y'all did. Uh, I think it was like a week or two ago, maybe. It was awesome, dude. I appreciate that, man. I, I Thank you. I, I have that sometimes. It's like quick side note, what Tyler just did as we were talking off the air before we started recording. You know, I'll have guests on, you know, my, my lack of ego, my, my, my crippling uh, depression. I think nobody listens to me, but as Tyler did, you know, you do your due diligence. Okay. You're going to do an interview on appetite for distortion. Oh, what is this about? It's not like I'm Howard Stern. So you found it. And the fact that you, you, you not only found me and agreed to it, you like some of the, the, you know, the interviews and the podcast. So that means a lot. So we're yeah, fans man. of each other now. So. There we go. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. I'm going to say you're on my podcast list now. Right on. And perfect timing uh, today as we record this, because you were just named within uh, Loudwire, and I appreciate Loudwire picks up a lot of our interviews as well. Uh, you were named one of 11 bands leading the classic rock revival charge. And I guess we probably had some of your friends on here, like Mike Miley from Rival Sons, who was on the list. 
Uh, Tyler Bryant, Tyler Bryant, the shakedown was on the list. Uh, and then goodbye June. So do you, did you read that? Do you know about the, uh, cause I saw your, your Twitter handle and your Facebook handle uh, shared it, but I don't know if you're the social media guy. Did yeah, you, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, you know, always when you get kind of something like that, especially from Loudwire, I, I personally pay attention to Loudwire. I kind of follow what they do. So it was, um, it was kind of funny how it reached me. It was like, I was just kind of seeing it and I was like clicking through it. And it was like, uh, you know, 11 bands leading classic rock. I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. You know, see who's, see who's hot or whatever. And, you know, I scroll through, I was like, Oh, Hey, I'm in this. So I didn't like, like, uh, about 30 minutes later, our, uh, publicist and our management sent it out to said, Hey, you guys were just featured in Loudwire. So it was, <laughs> was kind of cool to like discover it somewhat naturally. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it, what's funny is there's a lot of Nashville, there's a couple of Nashville bands in there. And, uh, a lot of people that we've toured with, like, uh, some great bands, some great dudes like dirty honey. I'm good buddies with uh, John Notto, the lead guitar player. He he stays with me when he comes to Nashville. I um, he kind of usually stays with me at my house. So um, it's so good to see those guys being so successful. And obviously the Greta Van Fleet guys are on that list. There we're good buddies with those guys. Um, but yeah, and like you got some freaking stallions in there, like um, Lark and Poe are just monsters. And I'm so happy. Uh, what I think is their due. I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody's doing them any favors. I think they're freaking going out and earning it. And, uh, cause they're awesome. They're monster players and uh, they've been around town for a while and very well respected. So it's really cool to see Larkin Poe and dirty honey and my band and, uh, just a lot of good people on that list. Like people that I know personally, and I'm kind of invested in their well being. Like I want them to, I want them to succeed, you know? So, um, it was really cool. It was a really, it was a really good list. And there was a couple, there was a couple of bands in there. I didn't know. So I got, I got some homework to do. I got to check out uh crown lands. I'd never heard of them before. And, um, yeah, I want to check those guys out. Yeah. Rock is, is, is not dead like, at all. And we've, like, as I mentioned, we've had a couple of these acts on here already and, and to talk to you and what they wrote and the fact that you honestly, uh, for anything discovered it organically, I think is just amazing. It wasn't like, as you just described, it wasn't like your manager sent out a press release or something. And it just, you're scrolling through. Like I do a lot of times and I'm like, Oh, they picked up one of my interviews and they're like, Oh, we're listed in this, you know, really very cool. I just like, that's what people want. They want the classic rock sound to come back. I think because the, the classic is, um, I don't know. Maybe it's, I don't think it's a dirty word, but maybe there's a label to it, but we'll talk, maybe we'll talk about that. But yeah. I love the, they wrote, and I guess because it ties into what we do here. Like several others on the list, Goodbye June are a Nashville-based band with their style rooted in blues, but their influences really span from gospel and country to grunge. Uh, they have a gritty sound and powerful energy. One that stands out about them is most is frontman Landon Milbourne's vocals. Like Axl Rose... He's almost able to manipulate his vocal style uh, to fit the mood of the song, making for a different listening experience, which each track, which is true. But first, if, if Landon is like Axel, are you like Slash? You, are you guys like the Axel? <laughs> hey, I, hey I, would, I would take it, but I, I personally, uh, I feel more akin to uh, maybe a Billy Gibbons 
versus the slash as far as the school. But, but dude, what's funny is, um, slash taught me there was a technique in the, um, sweet child of mine solo. So I was probably circa like 17 and, uh, any guitarist out there will know what I'm talking about. He clicks on the wall and he's doing these, uh, we always call them in the guitar world kind of three by threes, which is means you go up a scale three notes at a time. And then you play the next note and you go up three notes and you go up three notes. And it's just, it's a very um, particular technique and it's something that slash uses. And I think perfected and kind of brought, Oh, I don't know if he brought it to the masses or not, but it's like this iconic, it's the big buildup in the solo where he finally clicks on the wall and sweet child of mine. And I remember sitting down and learning that. And that was one of the first big um, solo-y moments in my life, you know, that kind of transitioned me from just kind of playing chords and uh, cowboy chords, as I call them, uh, to trying to become a uh, lead guitar player. So, so that's my uh, part of my uh, guns and roses, like legacy, you know, the slash left on me. It's funny you bring that up. So Look at that. I mean, that's amazing. That's what I call the six degrees of GNR bacon. That's what I call yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, today, we, we scheduled this like a week ago, and then today there's an article comparing your lead singer to Axel, and you tell me about how Slash influenced you. This wasn't part of the you know, the one sheet. This wasn't part of my research. I love yeah, no. Thumbs up uh, organically. And I was surprised, though, to hear the comparison to Axel because – the guy who brought my attention to, to you guys, you know, he's like, you gotta, you know, I mean, tell me what you think about this band. Goodbye June. And he sent me the video for step aside. And I'm just, Holy shit. If I could say so, I mean, like, no. Holy shit. It sounds like, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of just like that bond Scott era, ACDC and the Southern style rock, hence Nashville. And I'm like, okay, right. what does this sound like? And it just sounds so fresh. It's like, Bon Scott's kid, I don't know, it was like, you know, married to Stephen Van Zandt and like created his baby. And it was just, I don't know. I was blown away. <laughs> I became a fanboy for a second. He was absolutely blown away. So, what do you think? Where did your sound, I guess, come from? Everyone else in Well, 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 I mean, dude, we've been around for a little while, you know. So, it's like we, we moved to Nashville in 2009. And, and uh, you know, we're three cousins. So we had played music before we moved to Nashville together. We'd get together and we'd play gospel tunes, at, you know, at church and different things. And um, we'd always kind of peripheral, peripherally played music together, meaning that we would come together at family events or, or whatever. And somebody pick up a guitar or uh, back in the day, Brandon, would, you know, my cousin Brandon would teach me a, a creed riff, you know, at Christmas. He'd be like, dude, I just learned my own prison. Check this out. You know, we'd like, He'd show me, you know, a riff from like Creed's first record, which uh, it's it's funny. He was really into that that record, and it, it got me into it, right? So we like we her. both, yeah, I mean, dude, we both geek out over the first record. Actually, the first two records, we were like, I would say, pretty awesome. And beyond that, hey, that's it's awesome. I actually, dude, I got a story. Uh, well, let me finish this thought, and then want to okay. transition into into a, a, like a geek out story. Um, so anyway, so we, um, we started then and we, we came down to, to, uh, Nashville and really went for it. And if you listen to our discography, which, um, is, uh, three records available, we actually have a fourth record out there, but it's, it kind of got, it got shelved on 
uh, Interscope. In our first major label deal, they took our independent record out that we had we had put out ourselves, and they said, "Hey, we'll we'll do something with this later." And then you know it's just shelved forever until our lawyers you know get it back, which probably will at some point. But anyways, doesn't matter. Um, and I say our lawyers like I got a team of lawyers. We don't, <laughs> but we'll 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 hire a lawyer at some point to get that that old record back. Um, so um, so but if you but if you kind of look at our discography and you ask you know how how did you guys get to, to where we're at or step aside is, um, and it was a journey, man. So like, what's funny is that, um, Loudwire review, it sounds like that that guy did a really, whoever wrote that or that person, sorry. Um, they did their research through our discography because I feel like the first record, there's always these elements of grunge. And then earlier in our career, I think we had this little bit of like gospel sensitivity to us. That was uh, this blues based thing, but it had soul to it. And, and uh, that came up in a couple songs. Right. And then our second record, I feel like was more of a, again, it was kind of grungy, but we, we did a little more Beatlesy stuff. We did a little more exploration in like Beatles and Led Zeppelin land. So you'll hear a song like live in the now, which was popular off that record. And that's a very, um, uniquely written song. I think I will probably never write another song like that. It, to, to me, it was very Beatles and um, kind of dove into that a uh, little bit of psychedelica world and a little bit of grunge in it too. That's what's funny about us is we all grew up cutting our teeth and we all listened to, um, you know, the hot bands of, of, of grunge, you know, but we were t towards the end of grunge. Right. So it was like, it was like Nirvana in utero, you know, like was more like when we were really getting influenced by grunge. So, um, and then, you know, we're getting, we're on our third record and there was just something that we had all decided on. It was during the pandemic. We were, we were, uh, didn't know what to do. Right. Everything got taken away from everybody as far as musicians go. And, um, you know, from a business standpoint and from a touring standpoint, I mean, we canceled, uh, like 40 shows opening for a major act. And then we were planning on doing, um, I mean, we had like 12 festivals in Europe already lined up and we, we had a big year. Like I would say our biggest year ever, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of that moment where it's like, you look at this piece of paper and you see your life planned out for the next year. And, and it's the first time in your life that, that it's like this, like as a musician, and it was, uh, super exciting and super amazing. And, um, but it, you know, it got taken away COVID, you know, canceled everything. Right. So we, we had nothing. We were kind of in this Valley of, um, definitely a low point uh, as far as morale goes. And just like a lot of people, I'm not, I'm not saying that we were worse off than anybody. We, we had our health and your story. Uh, I get yeah. 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 You know, we, we had our health. And so I'm not, I don't want to complain or, or say my pain was worth someone else's because we made it lucky. We, we were, we got very lucky. Um, so anyways, um, so we decided to go to, uh, my garage and we set up a three piece kit and we were playing and there was something really cool about what we were doing and cultivating in that garage that lent itself to this, uh, what you're saying, that step aside song that step aside is like it's in some world of like ac early acdc and uh, you know you might say leonard skinner i would say personally and this is not intentionally at all but like that song takes me to um 
like second, third, second, third record Kings of Leon. Like, like for me, like I was a big fan of Kings of Leon back in the day during those two, during those first records. And there's something about that third record that I was, uh, a step aside kind of reminds me a little bit of Camaro. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but, but, but I mean, obviously it's not, it's, it's not a nod to it at all. It sounds nothing like it, but that's the way it made me feel like when we were writing, I'm like, yeah, man, this is like, this makes you feel like, you know, Camaro versus, um, you know, like a, you know, iconic ACDC song, but anyway, so, so we're going down this road and it felt really good, man. And, um, like we always do with our records is, uh, we're going to release a couple singles leading up to the record that are going to be very much in the vein of um, Step Aside. Like we released another song called Three Chords that is a little more rolling. It has a little bit more of a Rolling Stones kind of juke rhythm to it that kind of gets you bouncing and swaying a little bit more than a regular ACDC song would. But you're going to find that there's there's about five or six songs that are all in this world. And then in Goodbye June fashion, we kind of we, we take a couple departures, uh, into like black Sabbath land and like this kind of grungier thing, kind of like we always, we always do. We always tell ourselves we're not going to like, Hey man, let's just keep it. Like, let's keep it straightforward this record. And it's always, every time it's like, Oh, we got to throw in a little grunge, you know, <laughs> there's gotta be a little, there's gotta be a little bit in there. So you'll have it. There's a song called nothing on there. That's a very, um, very grungy. It's the grungiest song on the record. Probably maybe one of the grungiest songs we've ever done, but it's sitting next to, you know, uh, like three chords, you know, which three chords is a very classic song as you might say. So, um, but, uh, anyway, yeah. So there's, that's kind of, that's the, the chronology, chronology of, of the record and kind of how it came out and how the sound formed, you know, the sound was just us, uh, being raw three piece and, trying to give Landon more space in the song, which it was a conscious effort on this record. Like we got to give Landon more room to work to show off his vocals. So you can hear how the details of his voice, right? Cause if, if you're just banging away on, you know, two guitars and a bass, like, like you, you can lose some of Landon's really cool nuance, which I think sounds like you're picking up on. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the song Three Chords, which is just three chords. I, I was fortunate enough to be sent the, uh, the, you know, early screening of the record, I guess, if you can phrase it that way. And it, it is a journey. You know, I say ACDC, and that's the quick thing, you know, to, to say, but that's not, you know, you're kind of just doing yourself a disservice if you're going into it with just thinking ACDC or just thinking Leonard Skinner. You mentioned, I mean, Kings of Leon and Grunge. I mean, these are all sounds that you make work together. And that's what was so refreshing to me because without naming names, there are bands that sound classic rock and they just sound like a classic rock cover band. I'm like, they're great musicians, great singer, but I'm like, where are the songs? You guys have the songs, you know, to me. So very, it was very cool. And uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible liar. So I wouldn't be saying the, uh, these things. If, if, if. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got to uh, give a shout out to your cousin, uh, Brandon, who has a cooler uh, last name than, than I do. Uh, mine's just, you know, Weisler, um, you know, nice, nice Jewish boy from uh, Long Island. And his is, uh, I'm going to mispronounce it. Quackenbush, Quackenbush. Quackenbush. Yeah. Quackenbush. 
It's like a it's like a Dutch it's like a Dutch German kind of name. Uh, yeah. It's it's yeah. He always gets comments on it. But what's funny is there's like there's like two or three Quackenbush families like where we come from, like in southern really? Indiana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like not super rare there. But uh, yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Oh, sorry, and I, I can now I have to bring it up because it's stuck in my brain. It's just making me think of Ducktales, like you know the the quack. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you guys are all cousins. Are you guys all kind of in the same age group? Because um, you know, I I'm not too close. I have some close cousins I'm close to, but I'm I'm the oldest of four brothers. So I mean, it, it, I gotta imagine it's like a brotherhood uh, more so than a yeah. Cousin. Yeah, it's like a brother. We all grew up. We're pretty close to the same age. We're all a couple of years apart. So it's close enough to where we're, we're all experiencing a lot of the same things in life and we're experiencing to them together, you know? So that's always what it's been, man, is, is we started the band and um, just sticking by each other and, and always, you know, there's always ups and downs and you get told no. You move to Nashville and you think you think you're the baddest band in town. And, uh, especially if you're doing something like we're doing, which like you said, very graciously before it's like something fresh, it's something different. It's something that's combining some elements that maybe don't make sense on paper, but it's like, when you really, when you get the right configuration, um, of gospel and grunge and ACDC and, and old Kings of Leon, like and you kind of mix it together and got a voice like Landon's, it just seems to make, it just makes sense. And um, so we got told no a lot though, because we were like, we got to know like a million times in this town because we didn't sound like, you know, active rock radio. Like we didn't at all. And good. Uh, <laughs> I know it's well, good. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean it's you know for better or worse, and there's great bands on Active Rock Radio, and, and we hope to be on Active Rock Radio at some point. But it just at that timing, it it was we were really, I mean there was only one band that I knew of rival, which was Rival Sons, which they were included on that list, um, and that was when I first moved to Nashville. Rival Sons was just getting going and getting kind of some steam behind them um, back two thousand nine ish. And they, that was the first time I'd ever heard a band that was in the, in the universe of what I wanted to do. Right. That was, that was somewhat popular on like a radio station. Like I, you could hear it on like Sirius or you could hear it whatever. I think they had come out with pressure and time was their song. It was the first time that I'd ever heard a band besides bands from the sixties or seventies. But I was like, I don't want to be a sixties or seventies band. I want to, I want to update it and I want to, I, I kind of want to hold myself the same standards that they had, which was like plug a guitar into an amp, have a drum kit, have a bass, have another guitar and have a singer and don't overproduce it. Don't overthink it. How good of a song can you write? Hmm. Like, that's what, like, like that's always what we held ourselves to, which is like, Hey dude, if freaking CZ top can have, a, you know, a 60 over 50 year career, uh, without any member changes or anything, you know, God rest Dusty's God rest Dusty. He just passed, but um, you know, like these guys f- follow that rule. Like a lot of our heroes follow that rule of like, dude, a couple good, it's not rocket science. It's a couple guitars, a bass and some drums. Let's sing songs. And it's like, it really boils it down to how good of a song can you write? How effective can you be at your instrument? And you don't use like, you know, a lot of modern accompaniment 
And, um, that's what we always held ourselves to, you know, maybe probably to our detriment, but we always held ourselves that way. Like this last record, um, we cut it to tape, you know, we cut it, we cut it to like an old 1960s style tape machine that is way outdated and like has no modern, um, technology really tied to it, you know? And it's like, but what's funny is that's why I feel like when you listen to step aside, it feels so real. It feels so visceral. And it feels like, like, that's why everybody's like, Oh man, it takes me back to AC, how ACDC made me feel. And it's like, yeah, it's the point, man. It's like, we're not hiding behind, you know, a, com- a big computer beat, you know, or all this stuff. And I'm a dog and bands that do that because I, I listen to a lot of bands like that. Like there's a place for it. It's just, I never could do that. We could never do that. We would suck at that. We would, you'd never even have heard of us if we went down that road. And I don't want it to be everybody. Yeah, there are bands in active rock that I do like, but when it's just this, everything is the same. And it's like, all right, where's the variety? And, and there's a certain sound, obviously, doing a, a GNR themed podcast, a certain sound that I like. Boozy Rock. Yeah, I hear you playing Night Train in the back, I guess. I don't know if that's uh, a train passing by. I hear some sort of horn going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah sorry sorry i'm uh i'm in east nashville and i'm on my back porch on my back deck and uh yeah there's a train that goes by the house so sorry sorry all you uh listeners out there no not at all I gave you a good night train segue it was perfect it was brilliant i think pat myself uh but what i, I like not just with the songs i mean with the, with the songs it comes with being like a real person and uh, you can't fake that and you know, what I found interesting about you specifically and, and me, and I mentioned earlier, I'm the, I'm the oldest of four brothers and Goodbye June is an ode to your brother. Is that something that's, you know, it comes up in, in interviews. Is that something to hard to talk about? Or do you, is, was that a kind of a, a strategic thing that you want to talk about your well, brothers uh, always? But- well, I think, I think, uh, yeah, of course, always like anybody who asks about it, I'm more than happy to tell about, about it because, you know, I, I feel like, you know, the dead live on through our story and our memories that we have of them. So talking about them, you know, you know, you know, which is, yeah, I know that's really stupid, not stupid, but really kind of out there, but that's kind of my take on it. It's like, so I'm, no, I'm proud to talk about my brother. He was a great person. Um, I was 18 and, um, I was getting ready to go from high school to college at the time. And my brother was, uh, about two years in on military, military training and service. He'd been through, uh, I think his second big training, he's getting ready to go into military intelligence to be a field interrogator and also army airborne. He was a really physical guy, really, really good at all that. And, um, he'd come home on military on leave. He had a couple weeks off and it was so he could spend time with me before I went to college. And, um, and then he had a tragic car accident during those two weeks and passed. So, so the, um, so Landon and Brandon would come up, uh, Landon was living in Evansville at the time and Brandon was living in Jackson, Tennessee. And, uh, they come up and they stayed with me for, I mean, man stayed up with me for probably about a month and a half. He got a job. Like he, we, me and him were working at a, at a car detailing place together. And, um, so he just stayed up there with me cause he knew how, how tough it was, you know, cause Shane, my brother, Shane was such a big, uh, 
part of our family. He's this larger than life character. Everybody loved him. He was always making everybody laugh. And like, he, he was just a big part of the family. And, uh, so obviously m- me and my mom and dad were taking it really hard. So Landon and Brandon would come up as much as they could. And Brandon actually stayed with me for about a month and a half. And, uh, during that time we, we played a lot of like, that's kind of, that was our big thing. That's how we connected. And that's what we had in common, a big part of it. And, and it's, you know, everybody was kind of grieving. So, uh, we played a lot of music during that time and those were the beginnings of band. So we actually wrote a couple songs during that era. And, um, as things progressed and we started playing shows out, and we, we decided that, you know, I was, I was, I was really depressed. So I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to do anything. I wanted to stay home with mom. I was like, I'll get a factory job. And I just want to be close to my family because I knew mom and dad were taking it really hard. And, uh, mom made me go off to school, but I wanted to be an engineer, but that like, after my brother passed, I was like, no, I'm good. Like, I'm going to just get a, a, you know, a business degree, just something middle of the road. And I'm going to, I'm going to study music and I'm going to be in music. And as soon as I'm out of college, I'm going to, I'm going to go pursue music. And, um, and during that time, me, Landon, Brandon, we all just, we decided that we were going to be a band and we, we needed to move to Nashville and we needed to do this. We need to do that. And, um, so when it came time to name the band, uh, my cousin Brandon coined the name goodbye June, and we thought that that was a really cool way to commemorate that, that era of our life, like that time that we come together. Um, it's almost like if you would have wrote a book about the grieving and the family and coming together and creating a band and writing the music and living beyond that, uh, you know, what would you title that book? Well, that book would be called Goodbye June. That's kind of like what we what we come to. So we wanted to name the band after it. It's a little morbid. Yeah. And it's a little, um, we always get in the early days, man, it was always like, are you guys a metal band? Like, cause it sounded like a metal band, I guess. And I was like, no, not really. You just gotta listen. You gotta, you gotta listen to us. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> so anyways, we get, we, get, <laughs> yeah, we get some, we get some slack for that a little bit. Cause it sounded, it sounded real heavy. Um, but yeah, man. So that's that's the that's the story, and I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the band name, and I'm proud of how far we've come. With it, as you, you should know? be. I mean, as you should be. And I mean, if anything, I thought I thought maybe June was a girl, and this you know was kind of like a an ode to a next girlfriend kind of thing. But as I did my research, you know, that kind of made me love you guys more. I mean, I I don't look at it as something morbid. It's a living tribute. You know that no matter you know how the band came together out of this this tragedy. And, you know, I know it's, it's years later. I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss, you know, as uh, you know, a brother myself, I can't imagine. Uh, but the, for the music to come out of it, for your cousins, for family to get tighter in that time, which they should, you know, it goes to show you uh, there are some very good Brandons out there. So shout out to Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Y'all cut from good cloth. <laughs> I, th- I think so. I think you do. And uh, you're wearing some, and to tie it all in together, you're wearing some good cloth on your, uh, I guess that's going to be your album cover. I mean, who's the one in the fur coat? <laughs> it's, uh, it's that's right. me, baby. Come on. Oh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I seen that. So we, so there's a shout out to, uh, her name's Raina Gear. 
uh, R A I N A uh, G I R is her last name. You can look at her on, uh, or, or search her on uh, Instagram, super talented, um, stylist and she lives really close to me and we um we got hooked up together by we have a mutual friend named maggie rose who is a soul incredible soul singer so anybody who digs like soul music done really right uh check out maggie rose but anyway so i was out at a show and i see maggie and maggie always looks just awesome like when she's on stage she looks a plus and me like like our first couple, two records, we had always just kind of done this like biker, not biker, but like this gr- grunge look. I mean, we were, it's like we were a grunge band. Right. And, and, uh, we had this look and it was real tough and, you know, but sometimes man, our songs aren't not so tough, you know, like you, you, uh, listen to darling, you know, on our first record, or you listen to, uh, I don't mind like on our second record. And these songs aren't not tough, you know? And, um, so we always had this look on stage and it's just kind of what had come natural to us in that time of our lives. And what's funny is we were opening for ZZ top and Billy, Billy Gibbons was out there. He was listening to our sound check and he comes up to Brandon after the sound check. And he's like, Hey boys. And we're like, you know, he's like, Hey, Mr. Gibbons, how you doing? He's like, and he said, he said, your songs don't match your look. That's all he said. Hmm. and we were like i was like we're kind of all taken aback you know and it, it was really for me is is a little heartbreaking because i was like i mean billy gibbons was like i mean he's up there with creedence clearwater revival like top top three for me like as far as like just living legends like guys that i just love everything that they do and um so he said that and man it like penetrated my soul and he wasn't being mean. There was no malice to it. He just was honestly saying, Hey, you guys, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I feel like he was saying, Hey, the songs are good guys, but you guys like the look isn't here yet. Like, what are you, why are you dressing like you're a biker gang, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, obviously he didn't say that. He just said, your songs don't match your look and like floated off in the distance with like, like, uh, you know, a haze behind him, you know, like, a. Like floated away like some sort of Jesus Christ like character. <laughs> um, so he, but he, so like, you know, and, and that, 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 that had stayed with me. Right. So you're talking about the fur code and the look of the new record. I had always, that, that is, that has rung in my head mm. ever since that for years. And so I seen Maggie out. She was looking, she looked great. And I said, girl, who, who dresses you? Like, who, what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you do this? And she's like, you got it. You got to hang out with my girl, Raina. And so she gave me her number. We linked up. She loved the band. I gave her a sneak peek of the new record. And she's like, oh, I got you. She's like, and so she, we, we end up spending like a ton of time with Raina at her studio. She's got a little studio here on, on the East side of Nashville, which is full of clothes, like full of just, awesome crazy clothes anything you want to to style a band she's got it and uh so we spent some time and we like cultivated look we're like yo let's go all white and it's like you know is there anything like in this like fleetwood max easy top world that that would look cool and kind of be cool today she's like yeah i got you and like she she started pulling all this stuff so i seen that coat in her claw in her 
studio and that coat immediately spoke to me like it like reached out and said it's like you and me are going to be best friends so it's like and so i picked it up i said Raina. i was like can i do you think i can wear this and we uh, put it on she put some like round glasses on like what i have like you know kind of john lennon style glasses or whatever and she's like yeah this is the start this is the look this is the start of the look for the whole band and so anyway, so we all that's dude, it's just, it was fun. And we had never really done anything like that. Like put that much effort and um, professionalism into our look before. And uh, it was a lot of fun and it's cool. And I think it sets a cool tone for like the record that um, I hope it looks modern, but yet obviously it pays homage to like Fleetwood Mac and ZZ Top. I, I mean, I think so anyway, that's, that was the whole goal in the studio anyway. I think all of it does, man. I, that's what I said at, at the beginning, Tyler, was the, the sound is it's, it's fresh. It pays homage, but it's new. It's, it's, it's your own. It's goodbye June. And then that's what it's, it sounds like you and you're looking like you. So I couldn't pull off that, that for a code. So it, it works for you. All of you guys look, uh, look yeah. great. Landon, Brandon, and, and Tyler. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goodbye June, uh, See Where the Night Goes comes out February 18th of next year, which you can pre-order now on like, earache.com. Uh, and you got vinyl, you got t-shirts, you got tote bags. Anything I'm uh, missing before we uh, let you go? No, man. We got just, um, yeah, pre-order the vinyl. We'll have some more songs uh, coming out. We'll have one or two more East singles leading up to it. So we're really excited. Really excited about the next one. The next one's planned on being, um, I think it's in December. We're December, it's coming out middle of December, and it's uh, the title track of the record, which is which is one of my favorite songs. Which, if you uh, if you thought uh, Step Aside had an ACDC vibe, I think I think you're really gonna think uh, See Where the Night Goes has an ACDC vibe too, man. We got a that one's the most ACDC of all of them, so. Um, not intentionally by any means. It's just the way it come out, you know, when we wrote it. So that's, I mean, you can't control that. Just it, it comes out and that's, that's the way it, it should be. That's what rock and roll is. I think just have it come out and that's, it, it is what it is. That's sometimes I have to tell myself with a podcast, like don't edit it to make my sound self better or with the ums and duh, just no, all the blemishes, all yeah. of it. That's what that's rock and roll. And I, I hope to see you live, man, when you're in the New York City area. You know, this is something I want to experience uh, live and, and in person. Absolutely, man. You hit me anytime. You're, you're guest list for life, my man. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much. And I uh, hope to do this again. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Well, hey, thank you. I want to thank your listeners. Thanks for checking us out. Hey, do yourself a favor. Do that Loudwire. Go to that Loudwire article and check out all those bands. There's so many great people and great bands and great musicians in that list, like support them, buy a record, buy a t-shirt. It makes all the world of difference, especially right now with, you know, touring kind of in flux. So anything you can do to support your favorite artists, please do. Um, it helps so much. So uh, thank you guys. Tyler's right. If you haven't read that article in Loudwire, I did retweet it. The 11 bands leading the classic rock revival. There are bands We've had on the show, and some we should have had on the show. Maybe will, but that leads us to this. My monologue. Monologue. 
You know you missed the sound bites. I get to bring them back. I'm not in the studio anymore since the pandemic. I don't have a soundboard at the ready. And with my home set up, I don't want to I don't want to overcomplicate things. But earlier in the episode, I mentioned, you know, as we're talking about tenderness with Jesse Dayton interviews that should have happened. I mean, do you remember for those who have been listening to this uh, podcast since episode one, where I thought Shooter Jennings was going to come on the podcast because, well, I was told so by his people. I, I don't know who is directly with, but people who, you know, handle him and, I think much like the Duff McKagan interview when he was promoting tenderness, Shooter had no idea, Duff probably had no idea, but there was somebody in that management team that said, no, it's not happening. For a Guns N' Roses reason, I guess. However it's worded, is it maybe changes, but they will sometimes look at this as a Guns N' Roses podcast well, yeah, now we're splitting hairs. I call it a Guns N' Roses-themed podcast, but it's funny. You know, as I get off the phone right now with Tyler, he's like, oh, we didn't talk enough about Guns N' Roses. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to talk about Guns N' Roses every second for an hour. That's not what this, sometimes the show is, it, it, yeah, it is about that. We have Doug Goldstein on, but sometimes with Doug or Alan or, you know, we'll talk about depression, we'll talk about their interests, it's, I think we would all get bored if it was just nothing but wall-to-wall GNR stuff. There's just only so much to say. I mean, I've been squeezing out a lot over 100 or, excuse me, 300 episodes. I've squeezed out a lot from a band that doesn't make a lot of news. Not now. They did, you know, back in the day. But now they're, you know, when they're touring, sure, they, I mean, they released two new if you want to use air quote songs this year. So there was news, but still for the most part, what would this be if all I was doing was you know rehashing the same old stories about the story of uh, Sweet Child of Mine or comparing you know what's your favorite song? We have that fun on social media, but for a podcast, no, it's just an organic conversation. GNR is, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I don't need to over-explain it to you. So it was... Uh, one of the bands, so we, we did get in, in that article, yeah, of course, we got now we got Goodbye June on. Uh, Rival Sons listed. We got Mike Miley, the the drummer on. From Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown on that list, we got Tyler Bryant and Graham Whitford, Brett Whitford from Aerosmith's uh, son. So we got two uh, two guys from, uh, from Tyler Bryant. But as Tyler Baker just mentioned, Dirty Honey is on that list. And here's like kind of where my monologue is. This is what it's about. Dirty Honey. I mean, I've become, I've come so close to getting them. And, you know, I want to be vague just because people don't have their, deserve to have their names mentioned. Everyone's just trying to do their job the best that they can. So it's not like I'm trying to call anybody out like that. I just more about letting you know about situational issues. You know, no one name wise deserves to be called out unless it's something like, you know, malicious or hurtful or something, you know, illegal or none of that, that shit's happening. So the, the guy who works within the dirty honey camp, and I may have said this before, at least on an Instagram live, I know I did, uh, also works in that tenderness camp or the Duff camp. So the same person that canceled Duff 
also canceled Dirty Honey on me or won't allow me to. And this same person said no to me recently from Miles Kennedy. And I've had Miles Kennedy, as you know, on the show before. How does that happen? Well, I'll tell you how. Miles, like a lot of artists, have a lot of managers for different projects. So Miles has people that work for him for his solo stuff, people that work with him for Alter Bridge, people that work with him for Slash. So the people that are close to the Slash camp, like Dirty Honey is or was, I guess, now that I'm told that may have changed, I'm not allowed to interview them because it's too close to the Slash camp, or which translates to Guns N' Roses camp. But what is that? Like, I don't really understand what that means. You know, wh- why is that a bad thing? Why is that a bad thing? So, you know, I, I inquire about clickbait. Yeah, that's part of it. Sure. And I kind of pressed this person for, you know, because it was just too many people that I was not getting an interview with. I'm like, okay, it's Dirty Honey. It's it's Duff McKagan. It's now I can't get Miles again. Like, what's what's going on here? Is it is it me? Did I do something? Am I unprofessional? Because when I air these things, when I do the my monologue, it's not, I'm not told no or a situation that doesn't work out. I just immediately air the dirty laundry. No, these are, these are things that have been happening for years that I need to bring up now because it's like, why don't you get this person on the podcast? You got Miles on before? Well, I can't get him now because now he's with Slash because that makes sense. And I, I have no doubt in my mind, Miles has no idea. I was told by the rep I dealt with at that time, when Miles hung up with me, he said, that was cool. He liked, he liked my interview. And he's, I'm told he's the kind of guy to say, I, you know what, I don't want to do an interview with that person anymore. He's like a nice guy, but there are you know, interviewers that are after clickbaity stuff. And this was an example, actually. This was uh, confirmed to me. So I know it was in my paranoia that there are some guests or interviewers, rather, and that they watch out for this that will ask kind of like setup questions that you know it's going to lead to a headline. Blabbermouth kind of questions. Loudwire kind of questions. And I'm not even shaming because, you know, I, I mentioned it before. I'm, I'm friends with uh, Brett uh, Buchanan from Alternative Nation. I'm not going to tell these sites how to do their job. It's if they want to use, you know, uh, interesting headlines to make you click the clickbait. I mean, is it, is it really hurting anybody? It may be annoying as shit, but is it really hurting anybody? So, uh, but that's their business. It's not mine. I don't do that. I don't title my episodes, crazy things like that. Uh, but so that's when it gets frustrating. Like, it's like, okay, what am I doing wrong? Why, I, why can't I get these opportunities? Just like I, I did. We did a whole episode about this. Episode with, uh, with Rick Dunford. Don't ban me. I think it was episode... Uh, no, it wasn't 300, but it was around there. 300 was uh, was Jerry Cantrell. But just the things that I've heard about GNR management steering them away from interviewing with me when I've had them on before. It's not even like a first opportunity and trying to get that first chance. Like when I, I earned the opportunity to finally talk to Miles, which, and it worked out. It wasn't like, oh, it didn't, he had a bad experience. Uh, there was bad clickbait. You can't interview him again. No, this is just entirely different situation. Just happens to be with the same person, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I, I guess it does. 
So I just want you, the AFD show listener, to know these things. Because you'll see, uh, and, and congratulations to uh, my coworker, uh, Andrew McNada, who interviewed Richard Fortas recently, but that was through Gretsch Guitars, and it was more, you know, very uh, equipment-oriented interview. You know, those are the things that you're going to see. But people are like, oh, well, you, you've had London Hudson on twice. Why can't you get Slash? You've had Susan McCaken's on, Susan McCaken on twice. Why can't you get Duff? It's more about not just being told no, that happens. But when you know the yeses are out there and something is stopping it for whatever reason, and you know, there's no communication there, so it's just like, okay, you can't help but wonder why. But that's okay because we've had over 300 episodes of this podcast, so I think we're doing pretty well. I think so, yeah. So as I've suggested so many times throughout these a 315 podcast. If you have a guest suggestion, be sure to hit me up on social media and let me know. Many of you have done that. Facebook.com slash the AFD show, Twitter at the AFD podcast, Instagram appetite for distortion. If you want to email me, the AFD show at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion of a guest, I love using you as a producer because you're not going to tell me no. And also you can be a part of it. You can be the, the guest co-host. So just find me on social media and say, hey, what do you think about so-and-so? Let's see if we can make this happen. That's how the Rick Richards episode happened. Shout out again to Izzy in Argentina for that. And Look, it's just somebody who inboxed me and said, you know, kind of was a producer for me. And say, you know, kind of, what's next? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to reach out on my behalf? Do you want this person's email? I mean, it's so many of you listening right now, you bad apples have helped create so many episodes of the Appetite for the Sorcian podcast. So perhaps the next episode you will produce. Actually, no, no, the next episode is all me. <laughs> uh, we, we got uh, David uh, Plastic coming in. He is an iconic photographer. You know that photo of, of Slash and the, uh, the Easter Bunny ears? And the, uh, the Easter nose, you know, the bunny nose, that was David. So, yeah, David Plastic's going to be the, the next episode of Appetite for Distortion. But after that, who knows? But I will say before I get out of here, uh, however you listen to the podcast, I ask that you please subscribe on YouTube as well. So in between the podcast, in addition to the conversation continuing on social media, what I've been doing I've been spending a lot more time on YouTube creating playlists. So there's an entire section of just highlights of the AFD podcast. You know, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, shorter, you know, clips of just, you know, Jerry Cantrell and uh, talking about the Axl Rose demo tape that uh, was thrown out. Uh, Alice Cooper talking about the garden. You know, Pauly Shore talking about where's Axl week on Totally Pauly. All these so many of guests and so many highlights can now easily be found on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. So if you listen, whether it's on iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts, if you don't normally listen through YouTube, just, just give it a subscribe. You know, check it out as well. And especially now when, oh, look at this little announcement. I have no soundbite for this, but I'll just go. Uh, I'm finally making some change, some quiche, or, you know, some change uh, with YouTube. So very little. So if you want to uh, help contribute, I, I don't like taking your money. Yeah, we have a, uh, 
a Patreon. You can buy T-shirts through Redbubble if you would like. Um, actually, one of the shirts, I'll, I'll just say it before I forget it. Uh, rest in peace to my one of my three cats, Mr. Big, a, a.k.a. Pig. You may have seen uh, his pictures on social media, one of which was with a an Appetite for Distortion T-shirt. So uh, he was, you know, 15 years old. I miss him very much. Uh, he was an awesome dude. Sometimes he would be hanging out in the background in, in some episodes. So, you know, if you don't want to buy a T-shirt, if you don't want to spend the money on Patreon, just uh, throw a, a like to uh, and subscription, rather, to, to YouTube, and that'll, that'll help me. No, that'll help me pay the, the animal hospital bills. Oh, it's just, just terrible. Anyway, I don't want to end it on a sad note, so... When is the next episode of Appetite for Distortion going to come? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, as soon as the word. No! Fuck it! No! Yeah! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.